this afternoon that's going to run at the uh, fall festival. So we're looking forward to that, and we hope that you will be a part of it as well. Just a time for you to come and hang out and be together and watch the kids play and uh, eat some chili and grab a hot dog and enjoy a nice fall afternoon in the south. We've been in the book of Revelation for some weeks now, and today we come to chapter 4 to the picture that John paints for us, a word picture of the throne in heaven. Uh, we've got a problem today in our, in our Christian world because there's some who teach that the true Christian, quote, true Christian doesn't have to face trouble of any kind or sickness or poverty. The health and wealth, name it and claim it, prosperity gospel presents the Christian life as a life of ease and comfort where you can ask God for the best parking place at Walmart and he'll give it to you or anything else that meets your heart's desire. But the problem is that completely contradicts the lives of the people who received the message in this book of Revelation. They were not living their best lives now. Suffering and sorrow uh, were a part of their daily lives. And in fact, when John writes the book, he, he says about himself, he says, I am your companion in tribulation. And their tribulation, their troubles, their difficulties were a direct result of their connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. As we've read the book, we've seen that some had already died for their faith. One man is mentioned by name, the man Antipas, who had died in one of the churches. And to the church at Smyrna, Jesus told them, he said, you just be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. So it's an insult to these saints of old to suggest that there will be no tribulation for the church. It's also an insult to Christians across the world who are already suffering for their faith. I want to remind you of how they were living just by way of review. The Christians in the day that the book of Revelation were written, specifically it was written to God's servants who were living in Asia Minor. That's a part of the world that's now Turkey. There were seven churches. They are listed by name in this book. They were living in a world where the government was hostile to their faith. On the throne was a Roman emperor at the time who had declared himself to be God and demanded to be addressed as such. Christians were dressed in animal skins and they were placed into the arena to be torn to death by dogs. Some of them were tarred and feathered and then lit to light the streets at night. They were constantly threatened with loss of life and property. Often they were taking, taken before an image of the emperor and asked to burn a pinch of incense and there say, Caesar is Lord. And of course for a Christian that was blasphemy because the Christian believed that Christ is Lord. And if they refused to say that, Caesar is Lord, then they risked death. So what we're looking at, the first thing that we're looking at in this, as before we get to the first chapter, I'm reminding you that they were living in their in a chaotic present, in the chaotic present. And by the way, that's the world that you and I live in today. We're living in a world that seems upside down. We listen to the news, whether it's things that are happening in our own country or things that are happening across the world. The world itself seems to be unstable and out of control. 
uh, that might be true in your life as you come into the church today and you wonder how in the world that God could know about your broken heart? How could the God of the universe who created everything and is managing the affairs of, of billions of people on our planet, how could he know about you and your circumstances and the burdens that rest on your shoulders? And yet this is the message of this book, that God knows and cares about you, that he loves you, that he has an interest in your life. And so as we look at this, we just understand they were in a period of trouble. They were in a period of difficulty. They couldn't see their way forward, and they couldn't see very clearly what God was doing. The first three chapters give one basic message to them, that as they live in their chaotic present, that Jesus Christ is walking in the midst of his churches. Imagine that today, Jesus Christ walking from pew to pew, person to person saying, I know where you live I know what your needs are. I know about your heart, and I care about you. That's what Jesus wanted these people in the book of Revelation to know. Now we turn to chapter 4. We're going to read the first two verses of chapter 4 and see how the scene changes for John from the things from the chaotic present that's on earth to what John saw in heaven. Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne." So what John sees here is not no longer the chaotic present, but number two, I'm outlining this chapter for you, John sees the reigning reality, the reigning reality. He sees the throne standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. Did you know that the word throne is used 51 times in the New Testament? It's used four times in the book of Matthew, three times in the book of Luke, two times in the book of Acts, once in the book of Colossians, four times in the book of Hebrews, and 37 times in the book of Revelation. It's a book about thrones. It's a book about authority. It's a book about who's in control. Now, in the world of their day, they thought Rome and the emperor ruled the world. But the Bible presents in the very first chapter Jesus as ruler of the kings of the earth. He's the one who's in control. So there's a throne standing in heaven. In spite of what appeared to be going on in their lives and in their world, the throne of heaven had not been toppled. The throne was still standing. The powers on earth had not shaken the, 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 the power of heaven. They can't and they won't. The, the throne in heaven was not vacant. And it just tells us and reminds us that in any period in which we live in the world, as we look at the scripture and as we trust God, we need to know that there is a higher authority. There is a higher power. If you go through any 12-step program, if you're addicted to alcohol or addicted to drugs, or they're going to tell you in that 12-step program that the first thing you need to know is there's a higher authority. There's a higher authority that rules the world that we live in. The ruler of the kings of the earth, the almighty God, the, the creator of the universe is the one who's in control. 
1934, our country was going through a severe depression. Uh, things were very, very hard uh, for, for normal people. And uh, so one of the men who was a Baptist at that day took out his pen, and he had written many hymns, but he wrote a hymn to encourage the people in the churches who were discouraged. Not only did he write it to encourage them, he wrote it to encourage himself. And these are the words that he wrote in that period of discouragement and depression. Simple words. Have faith in God when your pathway is lonely. He sees and knows all the way you have trod. Never alone are the least of his children. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Have faith in God when your prayers are unanswered. Your earnest plea he will never forget. Wait on the Lord. Trust his word and be patient. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Have faith in God in your pain and your sorrow. His heart is touched with your grief and despair. Cast all your cares and burdens upon him and leave them there and leave them there. Have faith in God. Though all else fail about you, have faith in God. He provides for his own. He cannot fail, though all kingdoms shall perish. He rules, he reigns upon his throne. Have faith in God. He's on his throne. Have faith in God. He watches o'er his own. He cannot fail. He must prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. That is the reigning reality, and that keeps our hope in God. Now, as you know, just because the king is on the throne or the president is in the Oval Office, it does not assure that the problems of ordinary people will be addressed. Is heaven like that? Is heaven a place where there is great power with no practical help for God's people? God's up there, but he's not doing anything. Well, let's just see. Let's look at verses 3 through 5. Now, one of the things I want you to understand as we look at this chapter, I'm not going to have the answer to all the questions that you have about what all these things are. But one of the greatest artists in the 20th and 21st century, at least he's one of the most well-known, it's not Hunter Biden, by the way, is Bob Ross. How many of you have ever watched Bob Ross paint? We watch Bob Ross. We watch Bob Ross and we like Bob Ross. We can't paint like Bob Ross, but we see the pictures that Bob Ross paints. And when he paints something, he might just have a smudge over here and a smudge over there. But before Bob Ross is finished, we can see what he's painting. What you're seeing here is a picture. Don't get lost in the details. Don't get lost in the little happy mark over here or the little happy mark over here or the things that John tells you that he sees. Don't try to figure all that out. What we're trying to do right here is see the big picture. At least for this morning, can we just look at the big picture? Can we just see this wonderful picture that he paints for us? Verse 3, he was sitting, was like a jasper stone and like a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, what you see here is a picture of preemptive providence. You say, what in the world does that mean? 
That just means that God is about to do something. And that's what you see. And I'm going to show you that from Scripture. You say, how do you know that? Because we see it in other passages of Scripture. There's thunder and lightning from the throne. It's a beautiful picture, and we'll talk about the beauty of it in a little bit. But God's about to do something. His people are in trouble. And the fact that there's thunder and lightning tells us something is about to happen. If you want to see that in a clearer picture, if you look at Psalm 18, we're going to look at verses 6 through 17 of Psalm 18. It's a similar picture. And let listen as David talks about a moment of despair, a moment of distress, a moment when he had a broken heart and wondered if God knew and God could help and God would do anything. Listen to David. He said, In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. He heard my voice out of his temple and my cry for help before him came into his ears. Then the earth shook and quaked and the foundations of the mountains were trembling and shaken because he was angry. Smoke, and I want you to see the picture here because none of this happened, but it's the picture that David is painting. He's painting a picture of God about to step off his throne and do something. Smoke went out of his nostrils. Fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with thick darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and he flew. He sped upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place, his canopy around him. Darkness of waters, thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him passed thick clouds hailstones and coals of fire the Lord also thundered in the heavens and the Most High uttered his voice hailstones and coals of fire he sent out his arrows and scattered them and lightning flashes in abundance and routed them then the channels of water appeared and the foundations of the world were laid bare at thy rebuke O Lord at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils he sent from on high he took me he drew me out of many waters he delivered me from my strong enemy in other words David said man I was in trouble and I cried out to God and God helped me God saved me. God delivered me. God took care of me. There was, and he pictures all of this activity. Well, that's what we see on the throne of heaven. As God's people are down on earth, they're in trouble, they're suffering, they're struggling, they're worrying, they're uncertain. They live in the chaotic present, but the reigning reality is God's on his throne. And the preemptive activity of God, this preemptive providence, the the overruling hand of providence is working behind the scenes. God is about to come to the aid of his people. He is about to deliver his people. And that is the picture we see in this passage. Now we'll read 3 and 4 again, and then we'll read 6 and 7. He who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardis in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and the thrones I saw... 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Verse 6. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal, and in the center and around the throne four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, the second creature like a calf, the third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying evil. So what is John describing here? Again, let me tell you, you're going to... If you look, if you read, if you read commentaries, if you listen to preachers, if you look in your study Bible, everybody's got an idea about 
who the 24 elders are, and really we don't know who they are. It's enough to say that, and it's all right to say sometimes we don't know who they are. Some people think they're the church. Some people say, well, they're, part of them are the 12 apostles, and part of them are the 12 tribes of Israel. It doesn't matter who they are. We're going to talk about that a little more in detail in a moment. But what really matters here is what you see. What is the picture John paints? He's, he, he's, explain, he's describing something his, he has no language to describe. He is describing an unapproachable, unfathomable glory. I have to remind you what the Bible says to us, and it's important always to let Scripture interpret Scripture. In other words, if you let the Bible be true to itself, it'll do that. It'll tell you what it's talking about. And so when you see John, some people say, well, John's caught up into the very presence of God, and John is looking right at God. No, he's not. John has a vision. John's given a vision, and what John sees is all that he's allowed to see. I remind you that when Moses prayed to see God's glory, God told Moses, no man can see my face and live. The Bible also tells us, and John, who wrote the book of Revelation, writes these words in 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. And John also writes in, in the Gospel of John, verse one, chapter 1, verse 18, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, He has explained Him. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, Paul spoke of God in these terms. He is the blessed and only sovereign. In other words, the sovereign is the king, right? He's the king of kings and lord of lords, and there's only one. And so there's only really one throne, and that's the throne that matters, and that's the one in heaven. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and dominion Amen. John is attempting, in terms of these glittering jewels, to describe the, the glory of God that he's permitted to see, but he has no words, no language to describe. And so that's what he's trying to do. In, in, the, in the book of Ezekiel, the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, at a time of discouragement in the life of God's people in the Old Testament, Ezekiel sees something similar. He saw the throne of God and he said, he wrote, as the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. Similar here to the experience of John. God came near to both of these men, and yet to them and to us remains an incredible and indescribable Mystery. Such is this unapproachable and unfathomable glory. And we see this over and over, pictures of this in the Old Testament. Well, again, we, we see these thrones, uh, verse 4, uh, around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And this verse, verses 6 through 8, and before the throne, this sea of glass like crystal, and in the center and around the throne, Four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. 
The first creature was like a lion, the second creature like a calf, the third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night, 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 day and night. I read that too many times, didn't I? But that's the emphasis. Day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. Look, what's important here is not who these people are or who these figures are. What is important is what they do. And what they do is they give unceasing worship to the one seated on the throne. And that's the picture we need to see. Do you remember in the book of Isaiah? Isaiah saw some creatures he described as cherubim or shining angels, and they had six wings. And when Isaiah had this vision that he had, it was at a time of deep discouragement in his life. He said, and it's in chapter 6, he said, In the year that King Uzziah died, when the world seemed like it was going to fall apart, this is the whole emphasis of this passage. When I was so, so in despair because this King Uzziah was a good and godly king and now the throne of Israel was empty and it seemed that there'd be no hope. I'm reading all that into that passage, but that's the emphasis. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne and before him were these bright shining angels with six wings and what did they do? They did exactly what these creatures in heaven do. They cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. They give unceasing worship to the Lord. We see this over and over in Scripture. Now let's finish the picture John paints for us in chapter 4. Uh, I told you to pay special attention to what happens before the throne and, and what triggers it around the throne. Verse 9 through 11 and when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. If you obsess over the details of the book of Revelation, you will miss the message this book is trying to convey. The message in chapter 4 is about the activity in heaven taking place in response to the chaotic conditions faced by God's people on earth. So what should our response be here on earth living as we do in the chaotic present? And that's where we live. That's where we live. That's where all of God's people have always lived. That is where we will always live until the day he comes to deliver us. We will live in the chaotic present. Our lives will not be easy. They will not be perfect. We will not always get the best place, best parking place at Walmart. We will not always be well. Things will not always go well for our family. We will get sick. And one day we will all die because that is life in this world. There may be wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation. 
All these things must be, Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. This is the chaotic present. But the reigning reality is, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And God is always at work. There is a preemptive activity at work behind the scene. The overruling hand of providence at work somewhere in your life. Some of you have experienced God at work. God doing things to protect your family. God doing things to provide for your family. God doing things to deliver you when you're in trouble. This is what God does. And in the meantime, we wait until we're permitted to see more than John saw that unapproachable, unfathomable glory and joined those in heaven in unceasing worship of our glorious Lord. But here's the last thing. Even in our chaotic present as we live here, we can celebrate when tribulation seems to triumph, God still reigns. When sickness and suffering surround us, God still reigns. When sorrows like sea billows roll, God still reigns. And so what do we do? In the meantime, have faith in God. He's on his throne. Have faith in God. He watches or his own. He cannot fail. He must prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Let's pray together.